guys might want to stand back from your radio a little bit because I got a cold and I don't want you guys to catch it. I usually get about one cold a year and uh, I'll drink about a gallon of water and get rid of it in about a day. I'm lucky that I have a really good immune system so I can flush things out pretty quickly and uh, I hardly ever catch anything, which is saying something because when you're a musician, you know, you shake hands with 50 people a night and you're exposed to everything that comes around. And I attribute that mostly to when I was a kid, I would play with dead animals and I would swim in ditches and I was exposed to a lot of stuff and I was never around any disinfected and that made me build up a pretty good immune system good tolerance so uh you parents out there if you want to do something nice for your kids send them out on the road you know make sure no cars are coming and let them play with that dead possum for a little bit you know go swimming in the ditch even if it's got a film over the top no thank you later and all the other parents that are disinfecting every single thing around the kids those kids will grow up to catch everything that comes around but your kids who played in ditches will not catch a thing but if you guys need any more unpopular child-rearing advice, just drop me a line. I'm here to help. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my living room in East Nashville, Tennessee and I'm trying my best not to sneeze on Mike. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing but I decided to do it anyway. And this show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's a creative individual and the person experiencing it. And everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Mondo Signs. Mondo is a singer and a songwriter who lives right here in Nashville, Tennessee. And you can find out everything you need to know about Mondo at mondosignsmusic.com. I've been friends with Mondo for a couple years now, but I'd heard about him for quite a long time before meeting him. We tend to find ourselves running in some of the same bars from time to time. I think Amy was the first one to hang out with him, and she came home telling me about this great guy, how fun he was and how funny. And uh, I just always enjoy being around Mondo. He's a good guy, and I enjoy going to his shows. He plays around town about once a month, and it's always a fun time. But he came over to my living room here in East Nashville, and uh, we sat down and we had a nice chat. Here's Mondo Signs. Okay, I was born actually in, in, in Mexico, in San Luis, uh, Puerto C. It's where my dad went to medical school. Um, um, so I was three months old when we moved from there to North Carolina. Uh, and, uh, joined the Army in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. So, te- yeah, technically I'm born in Mexico. Moved around when I was a kid. Uh, like I said, my dad was in the Army. Um, lived in Presidio, San Francisco, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Then we finally settled, uh, retired from the Army and started... Uh, his practice in Corpus Christi when I was, I guess, in the fourth grade, however old that is. So I, I grew up in Corpus Christi for the most part. What did he do in the Army? He was a doctor in the Army and, you know, retired when he was a lieutenant colonel. Spent a lot of time on Army bases and, and uh, the PX and all those sorts of things when I was a kid. 
Um, cool thing, like living in San Francisco is really cool. You don't realize it when you're a kid how lucky you lived it, are to live somewhere as beautiful as that. You know, Presidio's no longer an army base, but it's right there by the Golden Gate Bridge. It was uh, kind of when I first started, old enough to you know first start remembering stuff, and uh, it's a, kind of a cool. I've you know I've been back a couple of times, and there's still things you see that you remember when you're real real young. You know, were your um, parents into music? No, not really, but they loved music. They, you know, they had a great record collection and they, they seemed to listen to really cool music and, and all kinds of different music. Um, you know, everybody's been talking about the Everly Brothers lately. And I remember that was my dad's, you know, one of his favorite bands, you know. So it's like, I have a sneaking suspicion my mom could sing, but she <laughs> she never really did music or played or sang. And, and you know, uh, my dad, I remember he took some guitar lessons when we were in Fort Bragg and I still have his guitar strap. Um, but, you know, for the most part, they, they didn't they didn't play music. My brother, however, he he played a lot of guitar uh, growing up. He taught me a lot about music. Yeah, well, you know, I didn't go move to Houston until you know after after college. But the the Oilers were I was a big Oiler fan when I was living actually in Oklahoma. Because Kenny Stabler played for them and Earl Campbell, and I was a big Kenny Stabler fan when he was in Oakland. Cause I was in the Bay Area too uh, when he was there. So Houston Oilers were uh, one of my first favorite teams. It still might be my favorite uniform that's no longer around. Um, and then, yeah, and then living in Corpus, you know, like so many of us, vacations would, would consist of going on Astros game and Astro World during the summer. And uh, I always loved going to the Astrodome. It's, you know, it's, it's not, I don't think it's going to be around for very much longer, but there's something about it that's, kind of cool you know being the first dome and when you're a kid walking in and just looking up and then you get older old enough to drink beer in there and for some reason they, they call it dome foam when you drink beer and for some reason it, the beer had an extra effect on you in the astrodome because you look up and you're kind of like i don't know <laughs> a little extra buzz or something <laughs> what year was this for the astros like was this or what era was this um necro and well no it's like mike scott um when they they lost to the Mets um, in that in the National League Championship. That was one of the longest. I remember actually about to go into a guitar lesson, and I don't know how many innings that thing went. Um, but they lost that that game to the, to the New York Mets, who eventually ended up winning it all that year. Um, and then little Craig Biggio and them came along later and Bagwell. But and I was also a big Cubs fan because of WGN. You know, in Corpus, we didn't have a team of our own but we always got to see the the cubs play and i was a big ryan sandberg fan i have a long-standing cubs hatred do you yeah i i love actually i've always liked the astros and love yeah. the oilers but yeah. the cubs i i can't go there yeah well it, i liked him when it was more less of a institution as far as wrigley field was still just a neighborhood ballpark and it was like you know you know i went there years and years ago and it was it was still a neighborhood. Now it's more like an amusement park, I think, atmosphere when you go there just because. And then Harry Carey, that was, before, you know, he was just, he was kind of a personality, but it wasn't just this, you know, extremely, you know, household name either. So, and Andre Dawson had one of the best years ever of any player for the last place team. He won an MVP. So, that, so they had some, they had some good moments, not a lot of winning moments, but good moments. There's few things as great as sitting in Wrigley Field watching a baseball game. Right. Yeah. The only thing that could make it better is if the Cubs lose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, 
there's plenty of you know plenty of that. You know. <laughs> yeah, Hayes Carl. I met him. We our first records kind of came out around the same time. He had a deal with uh, Compadre Records, it was, uh, a startup label um, that he was on, and I was on a, a label, uh, Southwest Wholesale, the distribution company down there in Houston had an internal label to put out my records. So our records came out around the same time. And uh, he had, you know, we were just gigging and starting and playing in Houston. And I met him, I think, might have been the Continental Club in Houston. Or maybe it might have been the Old Quarter in Galveston is actually where I met Hayes. And then um, he had a tour lined up. and It was his first tour ever, and he invited me to go with him. And uh, a lot of uh, lean times, I guess you could say. It was one, you know... A lot of great moments, but it was a hard. It was being out there. Was, we went all the way to the northeast and back, and it was car trouble from the beginning. We got let's see, we got broken into in Memphis, which was the first gig. So we already had a shattered side window that we had to duct tape and and uh, had a few things stolen. Nothing too uh, critical, but then you know car trouble ensued. Good good gigs, bad gigs. There was one gig in it was Connecticut. It was like some kind of lodgy touristy place where that you know there was no pa we didn't realize so hey hey he just started singing in the middle of this restaurant and, and it was one of those bizarre moments he just started cracking up and dying laughing and nobody <laughs> even noticed he was laughing in the middle of his song and i was <laughs> i was kind of laughing along in, in the in the audience but no and then we uh we've been, we've remained good friends since then and uh uh we we went to atlantic city actually um he won a little money playing blackjack i think i didn't i think i lost a little money playing but we stayed in the really seedy hotel in atlantic city i don't know if you've ever been to atlantic city but it's uh kind of bizarre but you know yeah we stayed in this this really seedy hotel we almost witnessed like we thought we were going to witness somebody getting murdered outside the window and uh people with trash bags in the in the breezeways on the outside you know and it you know just walking around collecting and it was very very sort of out of a, a, a weird movie, uh, that whole thing, Atlantic City. And we got towed. We, we were at this one bar, and then they were going to tow us. I think we had to pay off the guy to not tow us. The tow truck guy asked us, what what, what are we all doing in Atlantic City? And I'm like, isn't this like a people come here to, you know? He's <laughs> like, this is like a people come here on vacation and stuff. You know, it's like, you know, is that, <laughs> it's like we weren't allowed to go there or something like that. Yeah, that was one of the many stops. I've never met Robert O'Keen. He's one of my favorite. Uh, I went to college in Lubbock and Texas Tech, and that was, it's weird because I, I was in school with like Pat Green, and, and that's when Robert O'Keen just really started kind of getting really big with a fraternity crowd, and I was in a fraternity. So if I ever did meet him, i go, hey, remember in Lubbock when, all these frat guys were holding up cans of Copenhagen. I was one of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> then he'll go, "Oh yeah, I remember you." Yeah, but uh, but what a great songwriter! I, you know, some of those old records uh, still makes great records. But I'll always remember those. You know, the younger records. You know, no kind of dancer and all that stuff. It's just really powerful. Um, then when I think of Texas music, that's what I think about. You know, for sure. Even in my writing too. I, some of those are just great songs. You know. How long did you do Copenhagen? Well, you know, I I guess all through college, and I did lots of things in college. 
people, I tell people I went to Texas Tech and they have trouble seeing me there, but I, I was telling someone the other day how uh, that had a lot of effect on my, I think my songwriting too, just because it's such a, a lot of mystique with that town, you know, just kind of, I know it has nothing to do with Copenhagen, but <laughs> um, it's like a powerful place, uh, some kind of weird vibe there that I guess a lot of great music comes out of there. But um, yeah, I did some Copenhagen and not just to fit in, but it was, you know, kind of fun. Wear, you know, red wing boots and spit spit Copenhagen into it. <laughs> hey now. Yeah. <laughs> it was, you know. The last time I did Copenhagen, uh-huh. I was about 19 years old. Yeah. And I had not done any kind of dip. I'd quit completely. Yeah. I only did it a few times before that. But I was ice fishing with a buddy of mine. Oh, well, see, that's, I mean, that's real. Well, we, I took in some Copenhagen, and about 15 minutes later, I was laying flat on my back on the ice, looking at the sky as it Ooh. spun. Wow, were you nauseous? Yeah. Wow. And I never touched it since then. Well, yeah. It, I don't know. I, I think the first time I ever did tobacco, I did a big wad of Levi Garrett. I was on a high school baseball bus going somewhere and my friend kevin Barron gave me some levi garrett and uh i felt drunk you know and then i don't know i just i mean i didn't do copenhagen a lot i didn't i wasn't one of those guys that would buy the whole log roll of it at the store you know but um and certainly glad i never got addicted to it but you know it's, i think it was part of the whole texture of where i was and what i was doing if that makes any sense Kim Richie, I went on the road with her a bunch, I guess, a couple years ago. This is, a, okay, here's a story. I don't know if it's going to be funny or not. She may or may not remember it, but we had a gig somewhere, and I'd had a few. We were driving back to the, uh, I think it was after a Houston gig, and we were driving to Austin. And I had had a few drinks, and she had this care package that someone had given her, and we were in the back seat. Um, and uh, this, may or, this may not be funny, but she had this, someone had us give her this thing of, of nuts, assorted nuts. And sometimes when we, we, <laughs> we make funny voices together and stuff, she, she probably won't even remember this, but I, I keep going, ooh, these nuts, ooh, these nuts, ooh, these are big nuts, these are big nuts. <laughs> and she goes, yeah, these are big nuts, big nuts. So then I started singing that, that song, uh, the Neville, is it Aaron Neville? Yeah, I don't know much, but I started, I started – uh, you get big nuts, and you know I love you. And we we started singing that. So then, flash forward after the tour, and I'm at, I was telling someone this story, and then I was at the Red Door Bar back before they expanded, so the the bathroom was really really small. So I'm, you know, standing at the urinal doing my thing, and I'm by myself when when I first enter, and there's another urinal next to me. But I guess you know I'll just kind of. I had a few too, so I was like, closed my eyes and leaned my head back, and I was just thinking about that story, and I yelled out, I got big nuts, and you know I love you. And then I opened my eyes, and then I realized there's a guy standing next to me, you know. <laughs> big guy too, but he was like frozen like a possum because he was like, you know, just like, you know. So I snuck on out of there. But <laughs> I'll probably one day have somebody on the show and they're going to tell me a story about how some guy walked up next to them and started singing. Yeah. <laughs> Stoney, yeah, he, uh, he's been writing for about three years now. He, uh, I'd, I'd known him in Texas just off and on in passing. You know, I always admired his talent and, and, and everything, and then um, we just started writing a bunch together, and I, and I didn't realize 
how truly talented he was until I started working with him. He's one of my favorite people to write with because he's very, uh, he's open. He frees his mind and he, you know, not a lot of constraints and he, and he's a, there's a lot of vibe when you write with him and a lot of freedom. And, and, and of course, you know, he obviously has a lot of talent. So we wrote a bunch for his last record and then we we just finished up a new, uh, well, he finished up a new record, which I, uh, I was fortunate enough to write a lot of songs on. Yeah, so we become very close, and, and uh, I'm a big fan of him and his music and him as a person. Does he come to Nashville when you guys do that? Or? Uh, yeah, sometimes, or I'll go on the road, you know, in their bus, and um, so we get, you know, we get riding done on the road. But a lot of times, we'll he'll come here and we'll just go right in his hotel, something like that. So, do you get into situations where? Um, you're supposed to co-write with someone and you've never met them and you don't know them and you just show up cold. Uh huh. What's that like? Um, well, it can be, it can be awkward, but it, you know, it can also be great. I've done it enough now to where the awkwardness is, isn't as awkward, but it's like, you know, it can be also very rewarding, you know, cause people ask me like, what do you just get in a room? And well, yeah, you get in a room where else are you going to write a song? And it's like, you know, a lot of times, you first you try to get to know the people and then you, you dig into something and it can be really great, you know. Um, the worst jobs to have, in my opinion. So I think there's some bad there's some inaccurate thoughts about uh that sort of thing. Yeah. By a lot of people. I, I don't, yeah. And um I, I know Daryl Scott and uh Tim O'Brien uh-huh. met in one of those offices on Music Row. Right. Being yeah. thrown together for a co write. Yeah. And what's better than those two? Right, exactly. So, you know, for every bad nashville songwriting story there's you know who knows how many amazing songwriting stories and just a wealth of real deal people you know and it's i just try to do my thing and 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 and, uh contribute what i i'm able to you know try to keep it my own offering not try to be something i'm not you know but also mesh with someone that's comes from a completely different you know place but, you know, like it can be really great, you know. Sometimes you supplement what, what someone else has to offer, even though it might be something completely different. It seems really freeing to to just write something with somebody outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. And realizing, well, I never have to put this on my record, but I might. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, and it's, it's weird because there's songs I write for myself. There's songs I write for... You know, for something that I, you know, I put on a record, and but there's some songs that I'm very, very proud of that I wouldn't necessarily put on my record, and has nothing to do with my respect for the song. It's just, it's just a, you know, I don't know, I, you know, I try to have a common kind of thread to what I do as an artist and put out there. But I think you can see glimpses of what what I do for myself and, and the other stuff too. You know, it might be more, I don't know, commercial. I guess is. <clears throat> not the best word, but, you know, something that, that belongs somewhere else. People don't always think of it that way, but, a, you know, a great Barry Gibbs song uh-huh. might, you know, be perfect for the Bee Gees, but it might not be perfect for Merle Haggard. Exactly, That yeah. doesn't mean either person is less. Right, yeah. Yeah, or, you know, Islands in the Stream, he wrote that, right? Yeah. So it's like, maybe that would have worked for, good for him and for country, but a great song is a great song, and... You know, maybe I should have said Black Sabbath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they'll probably come here to make a country record here before too long. <laughs> but they'll make it. Well, no, they'll get someone in LA to produce it, but they'll they'll call it a country record. 
<laughs> have a release party here on the road. I'm afraid that's a little too accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could say that I, you know, I, I have to look back and think about bad gig stories, but you know, they still occasionally happen, you know. But it's nothing new. I probably wouldn't say it with as much. Uh, I used to be kind of proud of my bad gig stories, but now it's like <laughs> <laughs> when they're still fresh, it's like that's not. There's not much, you know, to brag about here, or talk about, but um, it's just your typical stuff that still happens. But you know, you make up, you make up for it with the other shows, you know, but. I could tell you a bad gig story, but it'd be something you probably heard a million times, and you know. John D. Graham says it's he calls it a scar party, uh-huh. where musicians sit around and compare their scars with each other. Yeah, and, hey, that's not bad. Look at this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and well, the thing is, like, I would think some of the more successful people that have played in front of thousands and thousands of people have the better bad gig stories because there's so much more variables to work with, and and and. I don't know. It's it's just everybody has bad gigs. Even people that have you know are playing these big shows, I'm sure have bad gigs, bad gig stories. Because sometimes things just don't work out, you know, big or small uh, uh, audience or room or, or situation, you know. They may not show up to a house concert and find out they're playing in the bathroom. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but it's the same feeling inside, you know. So, uh, is that is that something that happened to you? No, I have dreams of that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's just like the one when I was talking about the haze showing up where there's no PA and it's not even a real venue, and you're just kind of lost in space. But you kind of kind of laugh it off, you know. Um, the, you know, I think bad gigs happen. The, the one, the stuff that kind of does get old is if it's bad routing, bad travel situations. You know, that'll wear on you. But uh. That's just part of it too, you know. But people that drive around in tour buses have stuff to complain about. So it's like, it doesn't matter, you know, where you're at. It's strange how the Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday can come around, and those if those three days all go really bad, uh-huh. you can get in a really bad place in your head, right? But then Wednesday, a great gig, and you're on top. Of the oh world. yeah, yeah, and that's why I get when I'm not playing a lot. I tend to get more down, not down like depressed, but just kind of anxious because no matter how stressful playing live can be, there's nothing as rewarding as a good show or just a breakthrough moment or just doing what you do and having a good time, you know? So We're lucky, man. We are. I agree. Well, I appreciate you uh, hanging out with me. Well, no, this has been uh, great. Been like therapy a little bit. <laughs> normally, normally I get asked questions like, you know, what's in your CD player right now, or who, who influences. But it's good to talk about. Stuff, you Would know. you like to talk about no. your CD player? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's good to kind of talk about stuff I don't normally talk about. So, thank you very much. Thanks, man. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Mondo for coming over to my living room here in East Nashville. You can find out everything you need to know about Mondo 
at mondosignsmusic.com. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've ever made, you can buy one of my photographic prints, you can buy one of Amy's records, you can buy one of Amy's children's books, but anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment, subscribe while you're there, and you'll get a brand new episode free every Wednesday. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.